0: Have to fight. Like when people don't know what Stonewall is. You know what I mean? They, well, won't, you tell, like, won't you tell everybody what that is? That was fighting for gay rights mm-hmm. and people were killed. Nobody they were, was killed at Stonewall. Nobody was killed? Nobody was killed at Stonewall. Uh, that clip never gets old. That was Derek Barry, the Britney Spears impersonating drag queen, being corrected by Willem, another drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. And as funny as this is, there are a lot of myths and half-truths floating around about what exactly happened at Stonewall. Hi, my name's Doug, and this is my show, History Out of the Closet. A look back at LGBT history that probably wasn't taught to you in school. Now it's time to take a minute to appreciate the progress made by activists that came before. Let's get into it. Now first, I'll just say that the news and people in general like to throw buzzwords into the mix like, it was the first, or this was the start of the gay rights movement, and -and so-and-so threw the first brick. That's like the people who get excited to comment first on a YouTube video. If you're focusing on what was first doing something, you're missing the message. Part one, something in the air that night. The Stonewall uprising was impactful because it was a violent resistance to authority that lasted numerous days and nights. And the result was that the message got across. Queer people exist, we matter, and we deserve rights. And we saw a noticeable change afterwards. Prior to the Stonewall Uprising in America, there was a notable riot at the Compton Cafeteria in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, and that was in 1966. These violent events were different from the nonviolent resistance tactics that existed before. Most gays and lesbians at the time, who were activists and belonged to groups like Daughters of Bilitis and the Mattachine Society, they tried to make progress within the existing system by following the rules and encouraging change through peaceful protest. The best way to frame Stonewall, that I've heard, is as a catalyst. And that's a person or a thing that precipitates an event. In this case, that event was the modern LGBT rights movement. The Stonewall Inn was a hole in the wall, a dirty dive bar on Christopher Street in Greenwich Village, New York. It was a private bottle club, meaning you needed to sign your name in a book and pay an entrance fee, $3 on weekends. Maybe that would get you a drink ticket, too. The bouncer at the door would look through a peephole, and he'd rely on his memory of faces. And if he didn't recognize you, he would quiz you on what the bar looked like on the inside. He could also make an assumption just if somebody looked gay. If they passed the test, they were allowed in. The bar was able to get more customers because regulars would bring along their friends. The Stonewall Inn was breaking the rules at the time, and for the most part, they were getting away with it with a few inconveniences. Gay people were not allowed to be served liquor in an establishment, and that was the actual policy of the State Liquor Authority. The Stonewall didn't have a liquor license. If a regular bar broke the rules and served a gay customer, They were labeled as disorderly and the drinker faced consequences, as did the server and the business. They could lose their liquor license. Queer people of the same sex dancing together or any kind of public touching was absolutely not tolerated in regular bars. You had to find a private place like the Stonewall Inn, to dance and be close with potential partners. People who lived through this period often talk about slow dancing together being a highlight. The fact that you could just do something romantic together, and it wasn't just about hooking up and then parting ways.
1: What was so good about the Stonewall was that you could dance slow there. Because we we could feel a sense of love for each other that we couldn't show out in the street, because you couldn't show any affection out in the street. There's a chance to find love, yeah. I had never seen anything like that. I never saw so many gay people dancing in my life. And I said to myself, oh my god, this will not last.
0: Remember how I said the Stonewall Inn was a dirty dive bar? The bar didn't even have running water, except in the restrooms. If you ordered a drink that was served in a glass, like a cocktail, that glass came from a bucket of water where it was rinsed off from the previous person who used it. The water in those buckets were filled up in the restrooms so it's best to stick to bottled drinks. There were no fire exits, and the restrooms were supposedly always flooding due to clogged toilets. Yuck. A lot of people don't know that the Mafia actually owned the Stonewall Inn, as well as many other gay drinking establishments in Manhattan. They provided protection by paying off the police. The police still did their raids, but they did so early, in the night, on weeknights, and when they did, they usually gave a tip or some kind of notice in advance. The bar signaled to the people dancing that the police were arriving by flashing the lights on and off so they could step away from each other and stop dancing. The police didn't go after the workers or the owners of the Stonewall, and usually it would reopen the same night or the very next day. The Mafia didn't provide this protection for free. The drinks at the Stonewall were more expensive, and if you took your chances with a cocktail, that liquor was probably watered down. Anything that you were drinking was something that probably fell off a truck, meaning it was stolen by the mafia. So can you imagine the kind of profits they were making? So what created an atmosphere that was perfect for a revolt? Just like your history teacher taught you about all the contributing factors leading up to World War I, nationalism, militarism, etc., Stonewall had contributing factors, too, and we can't point to only one. It was a combination of things. One element that was important was the civil rights movement, started by African Americans. Their protests for their civil rights were contagious to many other minorities in the country. Also, remember that at the time in New York City, the beat poets and hippies were all about free spirit, free love, and many of them were supportive of queer people. They also lived in Greenwich Village. The support from heterosexual members of the village would provide helpful on the nights following the first night of the uprising. Some people put way too much importance on the next factor I'm going to talk about, and in fact, it may not have had anything to do with Stonewall. Judy Garland died on June 22nd, six days before the Stonewall riots. Judy was an icon to gay people, enough so that to identify yourself to another closeted gay person in public, you'd ask if they were a friend of Dorothy's. Dorothy, of course, was the character uh, that Judy played in The Wizard of Oz. Some people say the gays were upset by her death, and that added to their frustration when the raid happened. Part two Enough is Enough. It's best if we hear what happened from someone who was actually there. This is Mark Siegel he's being interviewed for PBS NewsHour for the 50th anniversary of Stonewall.
2: Mark Siegel, I want to start with you. You were there on the night of June 28, 1969. You were 18 years old. What did you see?
1: As an 18-year-old kid, I moved from Philadelphia, a city of 1.6 million, to be with my people in a sense because we were invisible. That night, like every other night, I was walking up and down Christopher Street, and at the end of the night, you would go into the into the Stonewall. Going into the Stonewall was a typical night, until the lights flickered on and off, and then they came on full force, at which point police barged in, slammed people up against the wall, used every kind of profanity you could imagine against us, roughed us up. Uh, Then they went to people who looked successful, prosperous, asked them to take out their wallets, and took money from their wallets and put it in their pockets. We had nothing to do. Because they were the police. What are we going to do? Call the police. One by one, they let us out of the bar. As we were let out of the bar, each time somebody would come out, we would applaud. Eventually, they wanted to leave. There were only six police officers in the bar, plus the bar workers. Outside, we were 50 to 75. Uh, Eventually, when we wouldn't leave, uh, we started throwing stones, we started throwing cans, anything we could find from the street. For the first time in history, the police were imprisoned rather than us.
2: And that was a, a, those demonstrations went on for days. It, Mark Siegel, did you have any idea at the time that that was the beginning, that you were part of the beginning of the gay rights movement? No,
1: not at all. When Marty Robinson came up to me with a piece of chalk that night and said, right on the walls in the streets tomorrow night, Stonewall," I didn't realize that would create the second night. I didn't realize that us leafleting the third and fourth nights, creating gay liberation from from that protesting against, uh, against the police so that we could take back our neighborhood, protesting against Time, Life, Village Voice, and other media so that we be, would become visible again. No idea that would become history.
0: As Mark said, the crowd of bar patrons and supporters from the neighborhood would not disperse. They hung around after the police kicked them all out of the bar. Reports say that the boiling point was when the last patron, a lesbian, struggled with police on her way out. Police used force to subdue her, and the crowd turned on the police. Remember what Mark said? There weren't many police there. Reports say eight. These cops weren't equipped with riot gear, because they were expecting the raid to go as normal. People pelted them with coins and beer bottles, rocks... The small number of police called for tactical backup and they barricaded themselves inside the bar for protection from an angry mob of over 200 bar goers and neighbors. Someone even ripped a parking meter out of the sidewalk and with cement still stuck around the base, they used it to smash the doors of the stone wall where the police were hiding. Rioters were even trying to light the bar on fire. The police inside tried to regain control. They used a fire hose, spraying it at the crowd. They came out with their guns in hand, threatening to shoot. The tactical team then showed up and, finally, they were able to disperse the crowd. In total, 13 rioters were arrested and four police officers were injured. But don't feel bad for the police, though. The worst injury was a broken wrist. The uprising continued the next night. People gathered outside the Stonewall Inn and all along Christopher Street. People spray-painted over the boarded-up windows with the words SUPPORT GAY POWER and LEGALIZE GAY BARS. The numbers grew and people got more and more heated. They were starting small fires, throwing bottles, and destroying police cars with garbage and bricks. Local police lost control again, so the tactical unit was called in for the second night in a row. Estimates are that 400 police were present, but they were outnumbered by 2,000 protesters. The police formed a line, linking arms, and marched up and down the street trying to disperse the people. They used tear gas, and they also beat up protesters. They couldn't control the situation until approximately 4 a.m. The rioting continued throughout the week. Probably the most important factor that led to the success of this uprising was that all the letters of LGBT worked together. The trans people and drag queens were the ones who were targeted by police the most, so it makes sense that they were some of the first and most vocal and most physical in the attack on the police. Remember that in these raids, the trans people were the ones that were being hauled away in the paddy wagons, getting the worst treatment, while most gay men were kicked out and allowed to leave. When you separate the letters of LGBT, each group isn't strong enough on its own to bring about the necessary change. I think that message is important to remember now. Gay men and women have a lot of the rights that they wanted, for example, the right to marry, but trans people are still marginalized. Why did they get left behind? That's why, although you may think that sexuality and gender issues aren't the same and they're not related, that's not the point. We need to help out similar groups when we see suffering, and we're stronger when we work together. Part 3 Legacy
2: Back in 1969, as a turbulent decade was winding down, the Stonewall Inn was a popular gathering place for New York City's LGBT community. At the time, being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender was considered obscene, illegal, even a mental illness. One night, police raided the bar and started arresting folks. Raids like these were nothing new, but this time the patrons had had enough, so they stood up and spoke out. The riots became protests. The protests became a movement. The movement ultimately became an integral part of America. So this week, I'm designating the Stonewall National Monument as the newest addition to America's national park system. Stonewall will be our first national monument to tell the story of the struggle for LGBT rights. I believe our national parks should reflect the full story of our country. The richness and diversity and uniquely American spirit that has always defined us. That we are stronger together. That out of many, we are one.
0: Just because the cops stopped doing the raids doesn't mean that they started to accept and be friends with queer people all of a sudden. They continued with entrapment tactics in the streets and bathrooms. That's when the police would pretend to be gay hit on a gay guy and wait for him to respond and then arrest him for solicitation. Many police forces, not just in New York City but around the country, started to neglect the LGBT population, which did inflict harm and suffering within the community. In gay villages, allowing crime to take place and go uninvestigated because, hey, if someone's going to murder queer people, it's doing them a service of cleaning up the streets of undesirables. That's what happened and still happens in many cities. One prime example in New York City was the death of Martha P. Johnson, an activist and vocal Stonewall uprising participant. She died in 1992 and was found in the Hudson River. Police ruled the death a suicide, but it's suspected that she was actually being harassed by a group of thugs and they could have pushed her or chased her into the water. There's even rumors that the mafia was involved in her death. The lack of attention to Martha's death is the kind of lazy policing, and that's what I want to highlight here. It's no wonder the community has trust issues with the police. A year after the uprising in 1970 to commemorate the event, the community celebrated Christopher Street Liberation Day, and a march took place that went for 51 blocks all the way up to Central Park. The public was surprisingly supportive and even applauded as people marched by. Ever since, New York City and many other cities have held a pride march in June, and held other festivities in their gay districts. The laws didn't change immediately following Stonewall. In fact, New York City's anti-sodomy laws remained in place until 1980, and laws against cross-dressing until 2011. Many of the laws that cops were using to come down hard on gay people before Stonewall weren't written for the purpose that they were using them for. For example, disorderly conduct was one charge that was used frequently, and that's so general. They also used a law from the 1800s stating you needed to be wearing three articles of clothing that correspond to your sex. This law was actually meant for farmers coming to the city who were trying to escape taxes by dressing up as Native Americans. But they applied this outdated law to drag queens and trans people. In my opinion, the Stonewall uprising needs more recognition, especially because of the pride march. Stonewall is the reason why we have a pride parade today in cities all over the world. It's why most cities choose to celebrate Pride during the month of June. Now, you and I, we know the origins, and I feel like there are some fresh new queer people just coming out of the closet, and they need to know too. You can't just show up at Pride and celebrate if you don't know what you're celebrating. I gotta say, I'm grateful for the acceptance and the recognition queer people have in society, but I'm also grateful for the amazing nightlife we get to enjoy without doing it in secret or afraid of a raid. Gay bars and clubs are way better than straight ones and here's why. The people are nicer, less judgmental, a lot less attitude. The drinks are cheaper. Sky in Montreal, for example, used to sell two glasses of beer for five dollars and that's unheard of in Canada. We've got really expensive drinks. You have excellent entertainment in the form of drag, different contests, go-go dancers, and performance art. The music is great, too. Usually, you don't have to pay an expensive cover and there aren't booths for overpriced bottle service. The only thing that can fuck up a good night out is when a bachelorette party shows up with their crowns and sash and they end up being disrespectful, loud, obnoxious, and wanting attention. One last thing to consider. A lot of the people who were at Stonewall and fought for the rights that we enjoy today have passed away. They died from AIDS, domestic violence, or just regular health issues in old age. Say, for example, you were 21 on the first night of the Stonewall Uprising. That would make you 72 years old today. Many of the people living that can share stories of their experience when the liberation happened are in nursing homes or retirement communities. So if you're lucky to know someone, either a relative or a friend, you should be recording their stories. You got this far in the show. Why don't you give it a rating? I've also got more content available on the website historyoutofthecloset.com. Next week, we're doing an episode on the Toronto bathhouse raids. That's a closer look at what many people call Canada's stonewall moment. So be sure to subscribe to the show so you're notified when the next episode goes up. I'll see you then.